still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Welcome back to the first game review of the season. Yes, it's us. It's the Fran Kirby Fight Club, your one-stop listen to all things Chelsea FCW and, of course, the returning legend who played her first football since last winter, Francesca Kirby. Now, we are going to talk about her quite a lot, at least I hope, but we are a little late to this review. Um, I think between me and my co-host, Mia, we've had quite a few technical and physical hurdles between recording this podcast, um, as Mia will let you know in a minute, but... After that, I promise we will get into the game. But yes, hi. How are you, Mia? And do you, please do tell us about your little sort of electrical issue yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the weather in Linköping yesterday was completely awful. Uh, it rained the whole day and it was sort of stormy uh, outside. Oh, God. So I got home to my apartment uh, I've told you, yes, we can record. And then I stepped <laughs> into my apartment and everything just went black. Oh, no. Um, and then I had like 13% oh, my uh, on my iPhone battery. And so I didn't, the, the internet and the electricity got back like 10 o'clock last night. And then I had, went, I, I just went to bed because I was <laughs> of like, course. Oh, this is, this is crazy. Uh, but today uh, it's sunny um, and uh, everything is, yeah, it's I'm, a sign. I'm back in business. It's a sign. We were meant to record today. That was the, the sign from the gods that yesterday was just <laughs> not going to happen. But we decided we were going to reschedule. And to be honest, um, there's still a lot to talk about. So let's get straight into it. First game of the season, Stamford Bridge. Not entirely packed out. We might talk about that a little bit later. But we did win and it was against Spurs. Winning on the opening day of the season, again, that's definitely a new feeling, or has it been the last couple of years? Um, we won 2-1. Goals came from the debutante Mia Fischel, who we're all very excited about. She broke the deadlock in the 27th minute, courtesy of a wonderful name, Charles Cross. And then Charles again grabbed another assist six minutes from the restart, and this time it was Lauren James. Although, Gura Wrighton should have had one before that. <laughs> we're going to talk about that ghost goal in a bit. Um, and... That wasn't the end of the scoring. Spurs actually pulled one back. Uh, Musevic sort of spilled the ball and allowed Martha Thomas to get in. And that was with 15 minutes to go. So things seemed a little tense. Um, but Chelsea made a couple of subs. And actually, it wasn't that sort of bad. And we got three points from the game. Now let's dive straight into the team news because Emma Hayes has sort of changed it up, switched it up. No Sam Kerr, obviously still recovering from the World Cup. We did have a couple of World Cup players in there. Millie Bright. Back into the starting lineup, captain now as well, which is really cool. She was in a back four with Mielda, Carter and Charles. And then we had Ingle and another new player, Nuskin, who was playing as the number six, which Emma Hayes keeps telling everyone she is definitely a centre midfielder. And then writing um, James and Wrighton all behind Fischl. This was a pretty neat 4-2-3-1. What were your thoughts, Mia? Yeah, I my thought was that first, oh my god, what a what what the depth in the squad yeah. <laughs> when you saw what players that are missing. I think that's you know something I reacted to first when I saw the lineup because of and this is a sad like reason uh, for it, uh, but 
look around Europe at the moment uh, in all the big clubs, um, just mm. like Chelsea, you can see that there are a lot of players injured and and they were injured during the international break. And then it's so easy to look at the Chelsea starting lineup and, and think that, oh my God, what a great lineup. Um, and then your second thought is like, okay, but we still have so many, so, so many, but many players that it's, that aren't even in the squad. Um, so actually that was my first initial thought to that. And then it's so easy, you know, to, to get ahead of yourself uh, at the beginning, beginning of the season. But when that thought comes and you see the depth in the squad, and I know that we say this every time, um, like this time of the year, that... This is probably the best <laughs> I've ever had. Uh, but I'm trying not to to get ahead of myself. But I need to I need to say what was on my mind. So I'm honest here because that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think you are right. Considering how many players were missing, we were still able to put together a squad and considering again featuring two debutantes as well, players who've not really been integrated to side still to produce a very stable performance and even despite that goal in the 75th minute looking compact enough uh, and to be able to make substitutions that's one big thing I want to touch on substitutions to help bring that stability like for example we brought on Kirby we're going to talk a lot about that we brought on Ashley Lawrence as well and she came in and she was playing right up against Jessica Naz Naz who'd been brought on by Spurs and straight away that scared me because she's absolutely amazing she was getting the ball and she was gliding along Emma Hayes brings on Ashley Lawrence and those two are touch tight with each other and you can see straight away um, Loipot is brought on. Loipot's not even in the side, sits there in the middle. Kankovic comes on, Fleming. And these are players, as as you're saying, players who were within our starting eleven, but are finding themselves on our bench this season. So let that be a lesson. If you are within the starting eleven and you put in a good shift, Emma Hayes is is not sort of afraid to, to make those changes. Um so usually in this platform, we'd go from looking at defence, midfield and attack. So let's sort of jump straight into the back five. And I say back five because the goalkeeper is one of them, especially since we've been spending the whole summer thinking about which one of the four big goalkeepers we're going to start. It was Musevic. Let's talk a little bit about her. Um, I think on a whole, she did pretty well. She was really good in 1v1 situations and closing down shots. But we can't really talk about her without mentioning the the element of, of where she's not entirely confident sometimes with parrying shots and I saw I was at the game by the way I haven't even mentioned I was at the game um so I'm seeing all of this live um and I noticed I did notice a couple of times she doesn't know sort of whether she wants to collect the shot or not or where to even put it and eventually in the 75th minute that led to Spurs's goal in which she spilled a shot and then Martha Thomas was straight in to, to put the ball in the back of the net and knowing that you and I both saw her during the the World Cup and she was one of the standout goalkeepers, especially that performance against the USA, it's really hard to kind of maybe rate her as a keeper because on one side there's all this sort of talk about how amazing she is and brilliant she is, but actually there's still this sort of undercurrent of maybe something she needs to improve on. I think I think the goalkeeping position is probably... 
hard one to rate overall mm-hmm. if you haven't got the chance for many games uh, as a goalkeeper, if that makes any sense. Um, I, I actually thought about it when <laughs> last night when uh, I'm going to put in some men's football here, but it, it actually got me thinking uh, because there was the Champions League for men on mm-hmm. last night and I watched Manchester United. Um, and then obviously there was a lot of talk about uh, Onana, their goalkeeper mm-hmm. after. And then someone actually tweeted, yeah, after uh, after his mistake uh, that, but he's been brilliant for two games, like, or something like that. And and this is what what is happening when you try to integrate um, the goalkeeper into a side where another goalkeeper has been a standout for many like seasons mm-hmm. and many games. Uh, so you know what you get from a goalkeeper that you have seen. Uh, with your team many games in a row so you know what you get if AKB is in the goal but I don't think people really know yet what you get with Sechira Musovic between the sticks and and so I don't think it's fair to say that okay but but she's known to be weak in those moments Uh, you can say that when we have seen her play in 10 games in a row. Mm, mm-hmm. But the goalkeeping, the goalkeeping position is very unforgiven, if that <laughs> makes sense. And it's yeah. even more unforgiven uh, when you are competing for that spot. Uh, I'm not going to say against, I'm going to say together with AKB and Hannah Hampton at the moment. So that's my take on that. And I'm probably a bit biased because I'm Swedish and uh, <laughs> I'm... I actually spoke to Suchira like briefly on Instagram before the World Cup. And I know that she really, she's so dedicated and she works so hard um, to be where where she's at uh, the moment. Um, So I think I'm, for myself, I'm going to be a bit careful to like judge her uh, mm-hmm. Before I've seen her play ten games in a row with Chelsea, and I'm not, I'm not even sure we will see that. I'm afraid. Yeah, because so. it's like I was saying earlier. Emma Hayes is, is kind of keen to rotate a lot this season, especially with how many competitions we're going to be in, and that's always been the case each season. But it's even more so this season with with the squad depth. And you are right; it's likely that she's going to be chopping and changing. Um, keepers as well for different tournaments it's good to mention that I th- also think generally that Musevic did really well bar that mistake um, She, as we've seen during the World Cup she's really great with her t- sort of being being very physical in one one situation and closing down shots and she did that yesterday I think there was a shot from Naz late in the game but there was also one from Drew Spence earlier on so she, she's looking fairly strong first game of the season and I think it would be very cruel to judge her on that one mistake but maybe to understand that when we when we look at a team that has 
four or five different keepers. Each one is slightly different. She is obviously very good at showing st- um, stopping shops, uh, shots, and we saw that in terms of her ability to stop penalties during the World Cup, which is insane. But I think that um, AKB, a completely sort of or slightly different keeper, is got more range on her, um, is able to be more confident with her shots. So it's interesting to see how Emma Hayes picks each one, what games they're picked for, what competitions were picked for, they're picked for. That would be pretty interesting. But let us talk about the back four, because in my opinion, I think it looked really strong. So Bright was in there centrally with Miel then, and then we had Carter and Charles. And I feel like Carter and Charles both had really strong games. Um, you know, Neville was a sta- bystander the entire game. She couldn't get any possession down sort of the left flank, which is what she's really good at. Um, it was almost like she she wasn't even playing, and that wasn't just because um, our fullbacks were controlling possession. Our centre backs were also stretched and covering when those fullbacks went up, and it felt like there was no space for Spurs to to counter through those areas where they were countering centrally, which is kind of where we might have given up some possession it almost looked like they didn't quite know what to do because they were being starved of possession in those wide areas. Um, so I, I feel like Carter and Charles were pretty strong and I also feel the same with Brighton and Mielder. I feel like it's a pretty, that's a pretty sort of no-brainer back four. You can't really go wrong with that. No, at, at least not defensively because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. neither Jess Carter or Maren Mielder is, is known for their abilities to sprint like down the sides. And, and that's why I also think that you go with the formation that they started with because it, it's very like scary in, <laughs> in attack in so many ways. Uh, but it's like you say, um, you can't go wrong with two, with, with, with like a center back pair. Oh, sorry, because Jess Carter played as a center back. I'm so used to, mm-hmm. yeah, to us weird, talking about her as a, as a full back, but but I do think that this is also very interesting to, to talk about because um, we have two England national team centre backs and who played together a lot um, during uh, during the World Cup uh, together in a backline. Um, so they for sure are would be my first choice uh, if I. Uh, would have been Emma Hayes. Um, I think Anik Noen and um, Katisha Buchanan, they will have a hard time to get back into that back line, um, I would say, especially after this summer uh, and especially after, I mean, the recent season uh, and the improve, massive improve, improvement uh, from Jess Carter. Or I'm not... I, I don't even want to use the word improvement because I think the you know abilities has has been there all along, mm-hmm. um, just waiting to to blossom out or something like that. Um, but also looking at the back four uh, starting against Tottenham now in a season opener, I do think also uh, it's a good uh, depth uh, and flexibility. Um, that could come on from the bench uh, in the backline now as well. You know, it's it's more like a complete backline mm-hmm. uh, with with all sorts of abilities mixed together 
uh, that that can be used um, whatever opponent you face. Yeah, and I I also think like you mentioned with Jess Carter there that the ability to play in different positions and actually when when you develop a squad like that it becomes much easier to manage injuries and absences because you have players that are already comfortable in being moved around. I mean, I know we talked for so long last season about Magda Eriksson sort of being thrown around in in left back positions, but um, on the whole, she did a, she did a really good job, and I think that having seen Jess play for England and then for Chelsea, you can see that she's developing that skill. Like she was always good in other ways and in one way months in, in overlaps, but kind of being able to to cover multiple areas, which is something I think Millie Bright is really good at. And I saw this yesterday. She was just all over the place coming across the left cover every time we went forward. That's the biggest thing that I feel like is going to be really important this season because whenever you have a couple of players out in terms of injury, you have replacements that have already known how to play in that role and you don't need to mix and match the squad a lot. That's just such a big win to have. Um, And I'm already seeing that in the first game of the season. So not just the squad depth, but also the, the versatility really of the players too. And you could say the same thing for the midfield. I mean, I know we played um, we played Ingle in the sort of the one of the double pivot positions, but having Nuskin in now, where normally maybe Leupoldt or even Kankovic would have played, it's it's like that's sort of the idea building a team that can move around and be interchangeable. Um, and it's funny we say interchangeable because everyone thinks that Nuskin should be playing in a more defensive role, which is, you know, what people think she was brought in for. But Emma Hayes is pretty adamant that she's a number six, that she's playing in the midfield and she's going to stay there. Um, what did you make of her performance yesterday? Yeah, I think uh, I think she's probably the most exciting player that Chelsea have signed um no offense to Katarina Macario uh, because that's <laughs> yeah. because but but that position is like something i think every chelsea fan have been longing for like it's been a gap even though there hasn't been a gap if that makes any sense but we've talked about it for so long and and i'm i'm very keen on see her developing uh, under Emma Hayes and Chelsea and how Emma Hayes will use uh, a more proper uh, number six, if if that makes any sense, um, together with a player like Katarina Macario. Because here you have two players that really could stir things up for <laughs> opponents that are used to uh, Chelsea's style of play and Emma Hayes' way of, of playing football um I, i'm i'm keen on seeing how emma's abilities as a coach with shoke nisken and katarina macario can how it can be uh, in the long run when we when when the games are really starting to matter um obviously Games matters all the time when you play in the WSL, but you know what I mean when when it comes to the fact that you mm-hmm. are gonna compete for trophies and the games matters uh, in that uh, s- sort of way. Because I think, like looking back at last season when when the Continental Cup final was lost and and Emma's coaching in the game, you know, you you sub player. 
you change formation and nothing works. That's where I'm keen on seeing these two player uh, players for Chelsea. Uh, but again, let's not, not get ahead of, our, of <laughs> ourselves uh, with that. But I think she is, obviously all players are unique and they have um, like different abilities and different strengths and weaknesses. But I can see uh, Shokaniskan become the WSL's uh, Lena Oberdorf. Um, Whoa. Whoa, yeah, that's, that's a pretty big statement. Yeah, and I don't like to even, you know, we talk about uh, Frank Kirby being like messy, and and I, I don't like to to make those mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, I I don't like to compare them like that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited uh, about Chokinuskin playing in the WSL uh, in the midfield. Yeah, in the midfield. And that's the thing about Emma Hayes is an intention. It's almost like she's being intentional to make sure nobody's confused. There's no lack of clarity. This is a midfield player. She will be playing. Um, something that we should be careful dis- to be, to distinguish is that she said she wants to kind of aim for Nuskin to play in the midfield. It's kind of like the way she's spoken about Lauren James playing more centrally. It's on a path like a trajectory a a sense of development and that's the big thing is like you say she wants to develop players to go from where they are to where they can be and that's the aim for her to be in the midfield position yesterday I felt like her playing next to next to Ingalls it it felt a little bit sort of you said this all fair you said we were better in the second half and I think that's because I think she had more freedom to play I always feel like Ingalls is a really strong player she she can, you know, be sharp and aware of tackles and counterattacks, but sometimes people, like players can just speed past her. Um, and I did feel like when Naz came on yesterday, she was doing exactly that and Ingles looked a little bit unsure. But then that's where you kind of think if Nuskin is playing in that forward position, who then holds the balance? Um, I don't necessarily think it will be Ingle, but I think that somebody like either uh, either Kankovic or Leupoltz could sit in that position and if Nuskin is picking out the passes and as you say, being being our Lena Oberdorf, you know, if we can't get Alina Oberdorf, we'll definitely develop a player into one. That's where that balance holds well. And yesterday was kind of a good experimentation of that. But um, like you, I'm interested to see how that combination works. Because if it is going to be a four two three one, that double pivot is open, you know, it's always there's always a combination of players. It's, and I think our attacking holding midfield, that's where we have a lot of squad depth. Like Lopots came on as a substitution, so did Kankovic. Fleming came on also, and again, maybe not somebody who would play in that role, but um, Hayes has once again pointed to her being in the um, sort of being coming on as an attacker. So it's like we've got all of these options. Um, and once again, you have to just think that at some point, Hayes is going to go through each combination to try and figure out what works best because that's what she spent. She spent each of the last couple of seasons, like the first seven games, she experiments a lot. And I wonder whether we're going to see basically a whole number of combinations to see which one works out the best. Um, but when it when it comes to our attack, I feel like we've pretty much got it nailed already. There's just so much firepower, even though Sam Kerr wasn't playing yesterday. We looked sharp. We looked on fire. And and me official, by the way, what a debut! She came on, and the way she was playing with Lauren James um, and Frank Kirby later, it just felt like she'd been there for ages. 
like her her link up play is so seamless her movement off the ball is just she's very intelligent in the in the runs she makes and even the the run and the build up to the header from Nim Charles's cross in the 27th minute she was in the right place at the right time and it, there was something sort of Sam Kerr-ish about that. And I know that Emma Hayes has said that she's meant to be an understudy to Sam Kerr when, when Sam's not around. But I wouldn't mind having her in the squad more often, you know. That would that maybe would force Sam Kerr to take more breaks because she's absolutely crazy. She'll, she'll fly to Australia one day and be back playing the next. So I like the idea that we're balancing that out, but I don't think we're going to have any problems in scoring goals this season. No, and I think... I actually I I spoke with um, Andre Egledge, uh, who went from being a head coach in Linköping to the Den to the Danish national team. We spoke a little bit bit about this, and then I started to think about Emma Hayes and Chelsea and everything around it. And I because he he said that as a coach you need to you can't just come into a team as a coach and like think that you're gonna win games if you're not you not know how to win games mm-hmm. where you are like so Emma Hayes knows how to win games in the WSL we we've been like crazy spoiled uh, with that uh the last like I, w- I would like to say decade uh so you know that already but this season I feel and this is we, we can't we can't not talk about uh, the Champions League, for example, because I think what we have seen uh, with the recruitment that Chelsea have um, been doing for this season, I think that we see a coach uh, that knows how to win the WSL, but wants to win the Champions League Mm -hmm. and gathering knowledge about that competition now. Uh, for a couple of years, if that makes any sense. So you you get the knowledge uh, on how to win games and how to win the Champions League. And so this is where I think the recruitment of Chelsea this season, obviously also with me official, is that you need to be able to create chances uh, and you need to be able to score goals in so many different ways. And that's what I've been feeling a little bit about Chelsea that they have been missing that um, because we, we've seen them struggle against low blocks because they only have one or two ways to attack um, Like, but, but now I've, I can see that opponents will have a hard time on stopping Chelsea's attack uh, because they will have so many ways uh, to, to scare the opponent goals yeah and that's something I just feel like we've really finally nailed it's like you say we spent a good couple of seasons honing it and and now I I almost feel like our bench as well as a starting 11 is in the right place for it um and speaking of benches Fran Kirby came on yesterday in about the 60-ish fifth minute 67th minute and I was at the game and it was so loud like just the support from the Chelsea fans of her coming on and and even like straight away she looked so sharp she did this move uh, where she had took take took the ball down the flank by the byline and then just like completely turned two defenders to go into the box I just thought it's really quite crazy how every time she's 
disappeared for such a long time and she hasn't sort of been playing since last February, I believe, before the World Cup. She comes back and it doesn't even look like she's been away. She did it a couple of seasons ago where she was gone for a year and she came back and had her best season with Chelsea, her best scoring season, um, sort of, you know, just completely a player who takes what they do so seriously in such dedication that I almost feel like, like I feel an emotional attachment to her in some sense. I mean, I know we are the Frank Kirby Fight Club and that's the reason why we started this this podcast. But even even when she hasn't been playing, you see from her Instagram posts, from her Twitter posts, um, from sort of just the interactions that she has around the games, she's always the first player to be in training, to be pushing herself and the last to leave. And I'm just so happy that she had some time yesterday and also, like, just in brief ways, her, James and Fischl looked so good together. Um, and it just excites me for this season because she's finally in a good way. You know, she's, she kind of went through such a long period of being injured. She had surgery on her knee, which had been bothering for her, her for over a year. And she's in a good place with her mental health. And it's just like everything's lining up once again, just as it did a couple of seasons ago. And I wonder whether it's... It's happening again. We're going to get a really good Fran Kirby season this year. Um, we get, you know, she's good every year, but we get sometimes we get these seasons where she's just, she's just unplayable. Yeah, and and also the fact is that I do think that this is where MIA's management of players comes in uh, even more now, uh, because like last season, Chelsea were were the team that rotated their players the most in. in England um, and I do think that that's that's where we are at also with players like Frank Kirby they need to be taken care of like really good and and to be able to perform um, like like Frank Kirby does um, I think she have done it like consistently the last couple of seasons even though she has struggled with fitness around that because you right now you you know that she will deliver uh no matter if she has been away uh, mm-hmm. for a long time or not uh, it's it's all about like now fingers crossed for her to have a fully fit season with no injuries uh, and no struggles because i think she really deserves that yeah, and it's it's really great to see her as well, kind of even after the game, like they did a, a lap around the stadium where they were congratulating fans and she looks so happy. And and I think that's the biggest thing that Emma Hayes always talks about, like making her players happy. During this year, she's talked, like Hayes has talked so much about, as you say, managing players. She talks about them not being tiny humans or not just being like uh, treating them like they're, they're men, but actually taking care of their physical, mental health, hormonal health and sort of every aspect of that. And we're actually seeing it for the first time. So it's it's really good to see that. And we've got a couple of other things on this sort of list to discuss, but I think we have to, I mean, we've gone through all of the game, but we haven't discussed, I did say it briefly before, but Guru Wrighton's ghost goal. It was so weird for that to happen in the stadium, by the way. So if anyone didn't watch basically what happened before um, Lauren James scored her second, sort of maybe... 20 seconds before that uh, a, a ball had gone to, in, into the cross uh, sorry a cross had gone into the the box and 
girl writing had snuck in, got her foot over it, and everyone in the stadium knew that the ball had gone over the line. It was so clear. I was on the other side of the stadium and I could see and writing wheels away, she's got her arms in her in like in the air celebrating and then she just like carries on the plane. I'm now I'm confused. Everyone's confused. Um and it's just it's crazy because the referee hadn't seen it, but I'm pretty sure everybody else in the stadium had seen the ball had crossed the line. And thank God for Lauren James, by the way, because if she hadn't responded pretty much ten seconds after that and put the ball in the back of the net and the game had finished one one, um, it would have been the second time that weekend at the PGMOL after having ruined Liverpool's game against Spurs and then having that happen in the 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 women's game, they would have been under some serious scrutiny. I think if the game had finished one all because that goal had been not given, um, I think I would have been really, really upset. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, most coaches says that um, goals, goals change games. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we can, we can sit here and talk about, okay, well, what if, uh, that would have happened or what if this could have happened or did happen or not happen and, and, and stuff like that but I do think that we've come so far in the women's game that we um, like with other things mm-hmm. we must say that we kind of expect uh, when when these situations occurs that okay but we need to be better uh, than this uh, so obviously I watched this uh, game uh, on television and I saw clear the, the ball was in. And then, <laughs> you know, I, I'm i a photographer and I just waited for, for photographers to share, mm-hmm. share photos of that situation. And they came, <laughs> came with the photos. So I think, like you say, uh, I'm I'm more impressed by the fact that Chelsea actually scored. Straight yeah, after. that's the biggest thing. Carrying on, stop playing. Like, um, I mean, Gurretan may may have stopped playing for a moment because obviously she was the goal scorer. But but the rest of the team just picked up on it and, and just like capitalized on the fact that I do think that the Tottenham goalkeeper also saw that it was a goal. So Chelsea sort of capitalized on that moment that where everyone was confused uh, and then they just um, scored more clearly to make <laughs> everyone not so confused anymore I think like the the thing is and, and Emma Hayes mentioned this after the game that it's really ridiculous that at this level of women's football we don't have that technology and considering we were playing at, in a, at a men's stadium where it's possible to install that technology Stamford Bridge it just seems like you know it it it's the opening game of a WSL season. They they understand technology. They've used it before in the Premier League. It's available at this stadium, but we don't put it in practice. And then things like that can just go wrong. Um, and a lot of people fired back at Emma Hiss for saying that, saying that, well, Chelsea have put too much, um, something along the lines of like, the tickets were too expensive or something. Like it, it, it takes money to pay for goal-like te- technology, but she made it very clear that's not the case. Tickets were being sold at 12 to 13 pounds. The stadium wasn't even that full, and that's another thing on our list. If, if it's available, I think we should put it in use because sometimes 
things can go really wrong. And then if you don't have that technology in place or you're not using it properly, then it can really derail a club season. And again, I'll talk about the Liverpool stuff because it's it's been on my mind. It's just really awful to see it things like that not being used well. Um, but it's just it just boggles my mind that we're not doing that in women's football. Um, I did mention attendance numbers and you've got it here on your list. I, you want to talk about it, but I think I, I picked up on it in the stadium where it, it was quite clear that despite all the fanfare and the sort of fire explosion they had before the game and music, which was so insanely loud, th- there was a large chunk that just in the stadium seats that were just empty. And I think the official number was around 14,000, I think. And what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts uh, regarding <laughs> this at the moment because we we speak a lot about it in Sweden uh, as well uh, for the women's game to get to reach uh, some sort of level where we can be safe uh, if that makes sense. Um now why can't we um attract people to go to the women's game uh, games? Um and that's the question. And actually, I do think that when you bring up good examples, uh, in Sweden we have Hammarby, for example, in the Dalmansvenskan, that we always like look at and bring up as a good example to get people to come and watch their women's team as well as their men's team. And then you have Chelsea. Or the thing is that right now it's Arsenal that that like. Do do the job on bringing people to their stadium. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention that. Yeah, the gap between like filling the Emirates of fifty five thousand, even if if that was during the day, a couple of hours hours earlier, I think the gap uh, for Chelsea as a club would be something that they shouldn't be happy about. I'm not happy about it, even though Stamford Bridge is a smaller stadium than the Emirates, I, I, I'm not happy. Like, this is, wh- where are people? And what do Chelsea do to bring people and fans and supporters to the stadium? And to me, it's like this. Emma Hayes said something uh, after the game uh, when she spoke about ticket prices, that the fact is that it it costs uh, us 300k just to mm-hmm, open mm-hmm. up the bridge. Uh, that is like, to me... That is a little bit dangerous to say. Don't say it because then it feels like you don't want to play there. Um, like it's too expensive. We yada yada. We 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 just play here because it's the the first day of the season. But it is expensive. Remember that. Uh, and so when you when you communicate like that, you you say something even though you might not mean it. Or they do mean it. I don't know. <laughs> but I haven't seen a single line anywhere where Arsenal have been communicating the same things uh, about it being expensive to be playing at the Emirates. Uh, just don't bring that up. Yeah. That's like, to me, that's like, yeah, uh, I, I don't like it, actually. It's it's a bit strange, I think, because it's like there seems to be a, a a gap in the understanding. But Arsenal know that the more investment 
they put in advertising, the more people that are going to come, which means more financial investment and more money, right? It's That's the game. You you know that however much you might pay to set up the experience, the real thing that's worth it is is the experience, the exposure, the the level of in, in financial and physical investment you're putting in it, it comes back to you. You, you get it back, right? Um, so even if like it's costing 300,000 to set up that game in your head, surely you must be like, uh, okay, how can we, how can we open up this experience to other people so much that actually that number doesn't matter anymore. And I think, I do notice a big difference on social media. Obviously, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes between the way Arsenal advertise their games at the Emirates and the way we do at the Bridge. I was really quite impressed with how they advertised their game against Wolfsburg last season in the Champions League. And I wanted to kind of go to that game. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I just thought it's super cool. They'd sold out the stadium. It was amazing. And I thought Chelsea against Barcelona, that's a big fixture, right? You know, there must be a lot of people there. And I went to the game at the Bridge and we didn't hit anywhere close to their numbers and that upset me a little bit because it's like, I know Arsenal Wolfsburg's a pretty big game, but Chelsea-Barcelona, come on now, this is it, right? We've got to pull out all the stops. It kind of reminds me of like when Liverpool, the men's team, used to have big Champions League fixtures at Anfield and Jurgen Klopp would do this big thing where he'd like speak to the fans like on the camera and be like we need you at Anfield come on down like we need your support and you they amp it up and it's like you feel it in you and it's huge and they sing you'll never walk alone I just don't feel we've we've hit that level of advertising yet and it, it is it is disappointing but um you know I feel, opening I feel sort game. of like it's average yeah yeah uh, that's and, the word and, that's the word and I'm thinking that because two, I think it was two seasons ago when Arsenal played Wolfsburg at the Emirates and it was like 6,000 people um, at the stadium. And then a year later, they sell out the Emirates because for me, that's like something that they must have been talking about, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like they, they must have said to each other when, all, when only 6,000 people came to the Emirates to watch Wolfsburg uh, play against their team that okay this is never gonna happen again we will make sure that this will never happen again uh i think i i want to see that from chelsea as a club too i i don't want to hear talks about how expensive it is to open yeah. up Stanford bridge even mm-hmm. though i know it's expensive I know that, but don't talk about it because yeah, it's just not. I feel like it's just not a good tactic, really. Um, and you know, she might have meant. We know what she meant in saying that it's hard. Yes, it's hard, but um, that's that's kind of part of the job, right? That's what we're kind of involved with. And we know she's had a bit of a tough week, to be honest. So maybe we can take that comment out of context. I think um, her dad died a couple of days before the game. And actually, it was it was really nice that after the game, and I was there, I didn't realise that that's what was happening because I only saw the context of it on social media when I got home. But the Chelsea players came together, <clears throat> sorry, came together and they gave her a portrait of him and she was crying and they were in a huddle and I just thought, like she's had a really, really rough week and she still wanted to be involved in the game. She still managed. Um, I read that I had the match program in which she wrote in um, a letter to the fans to say that she wanted this experience to, to kind of make him proud. And I just thought there's so much of a human element to football that is often either not looked at or lacking in men's football. But I'm really happy that we, we talk about these issues openly in women's football 
um and you know she's someone who's always been open about those things and to still want to be involved in the team and how things happened on Sunday and then kind of have the players give back after that it just felt it it felt really nice to have an open conversation yeah i think it also shows i mean the you know the friendship in the team mm-hmm. makes sense the relationships that they have uh, with their coach and i think it's very nice to see uh, even though was a very sad reason for it but but that is also showing us something about this Chelsea team where they are at together uh, at this point and how much probably Emma Hayes means to them not just as a coach but also as a human being yeah, and I think when you've been with a club for so long and there's like a core group of players that you've worked for over years and years and they have access to you in, in so many ways, I think you have to be human because how can you not, how can you share so much of your life and not be that way? And she's, you know, she's always been vocal about it. She talks about her son and about her, her personal issues and we know she's talked a lot about women's health and uh, the surgery she had to go through a couple of seasons ago. Um it just feels really nice that our club does that. I think because I, I think like, either it's not common in other t- in other clubs or it's just not common in sport. But I think those are the conversations that are worth having because often you hear these stories of players coming out and they they talk about something they've been holding in for so long, whether it's like a gambling addiction or panic attacks or whatever it is. But we have a manager who does all of that freely and openly and that must be really nice for the players to to not feel any shame or fear around those topics I think that can hold women's football back but she's already doing it and that's so amazing at least I, I find that amazing yeah and I think uh, I think it's quite clear at the moment that Chelsea uh, as a club and and for the women's game uh, with Emma Hayes uh, in charge has been showing, uh, I mean, I'm going to say the rest of the world and Europe um, on how to to make the women's team matter <laughs> uh, and the player players that, that they, they, they are worth something. Uh, and this is, this is, very interesting that you bring this up because I often think about it, you know, with we call them the double clubs here in Sweden when you have a men's team mm-hmm. uh, and then you have a women's team that those people in charge uh, of the club as a whole, uh, there are a lot of men uh, that that knows the men's game, uh, but they doesn't know. They they don't know the the women's game, but yet they are here to steer the wheel of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is why I think it's so unique to have a a coach uh, like Emma Hayes that because she knows this wor- like world and what the game might need when it develop further. Yeah, I think I think you've nailed it. Um, 
the last thing on this list to talk about, and it's, it's tiny bit controversial, but um, during Sunday's game, quite early on in the game, uh, Lauren James was caught up in a tackle and it looked like she might have kicked a Spurs player in the face and basically everybody online lost their lost their minds. That's that's how best I can explain it. Everyone was like, oh, you know, has she not learned from her World Cup experience? Uh, it wasn't accidental, it's malicious. And I think this is a part of this really toxic narrative that's grown during that World Cup incident that she is a malicious player or a violent player. And that's just not true. Anybody who's spoken to her in real life or got to know her knows that although she has moments of, of anger or, or rage, she's not a malicious person. And and besides all that, I really didn't think the incident itself was was intentional at all. I think it was quite clear that she'd fallen over and wasn't quite sure of where her body was. Do you know what I'm talking about, right? You've seen the, the stuff online. You're, you're yeah. making that face. You're like, yep. yeah, I'm making that face. Um, I mean, obviously, also because I, I know the player that, that uh, got nosebleed from. Oh, I happened. see. Yeah, it's Olga Atinen, the captain of Lynn Chopping. Wow, okay. She joins Spurs this summer. Um, so, but, but. I mean, obviously, when you see, I, I actually joked a little bit to my mom, mom, because I watched the game with my mom. And then I said that, yeah, now Olga is bleeding from her nose again, because we are, we are, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> we're not used to it in the Dama Svenskan, but she has been like, it's, you know, we, we, we have joked about Melanie Lodepoff's as mm-hmm. well, you know, she's um, standing in front of someone that shoots the ball really hard. yeah uh, but i do think that w- what bothers me the most uh, about people's uh, comments after this incident is that they are describing lauren james in a way that i think is people need people need to start to think on how they describe uh, a player when stuff like this happens. Uh, because this is, to me, this is like many of the comments, they were race, racist. Yeah, I, I thought so the same. Yeah. This is where we are at with this. Uh, I don't like when people say uh, that Lauren James is arrogant because she, she does... Uh, these sort of things. No, she's not arrogant because of that. Um, and I think that's that that is was that is kind of what was on my mind when that happened because I saw it immediately in front of my eyes that and I I thought that okay now we're gonna see comments like this uh, and that that is sadly what what happened. So I don't think that situation had anything to do with Lauren James being uh, aware of anything mm-hmm. that what was happening. Uh, it was a complete accident and that's it. And it's football. Stuff like that happens. Yeah, I think you are right in, in saying we've got to really explore the way we allow social media and people online to to create this narrative between black players in the game who are talented and skilled and ideas around aggression and and maliciousness it's very clear that there are racial undertones and that people like to to behave that way because they think they can get away with it especially online 
you are right in saying it's clearly accidental. I, I kind of got into an argument with a few people saying, can you not sort of see what I'm seeing, which is that she's, she's on, you know, in the process of falling and everything that we're seeing in slow motion is happening quickly in real time. She doesn't know where her legs are or where the player is, um, clearly not looking at the ball. Uh, and it's just, it's so clear, but actually the reason why it's not clear to other people is because they have this, this narrative or this sort of pre, um, predisposed notion of, of what she should be like because she is black and because she is a talented player and they within see, the limelight. They see what they want. Yeah, then that's, they, that's exactly And then what. they say what they want. And then they write what they want to see. That they saw yeah and or and like you can't you can't change their minds i think at some point you just no. gotta you've got to let go that you can't change their minds but you know you and i know that and i think there's a large proportion of people who know that she is she is not like that as a person and actually she had a pretty good game as well um couple of not shots that just were just well she scored game. it was an amazing game yeah okay amazing I, yeah. I was forgetting she scored the winning goal <laughs> she scored <laughs> the winning goal um just like combination of her speed dribbling and her ability to get shots off quickly like it's just it's insane and her and Fischl together actually scares me and and I'm you know they're on my team and I get scared seeing them play together um so you know it's it's gonna be great I think we just got to take everything we see with a with a pinch of salt and and definitely I think the more we see this team the more we can kind of figure out what Emma Hayes is, is planning on doing we don't actually have a lot of time to to kind of think that through because we do play Manchester City next Sunday. It's an away game. Um, everyone's favourite kickoff time, 12.30pm, which basically gives you no time to, to get up and eat breakfast, especially if you're living on the other side of the UK. Um, I'm pretty sure this is that same fixture last year that we had issues with. Fans couldn't travel down to. So fingers crossed that doesn't happen again because um, I think it's going to be a pretty great game. If you're looking at the brief at the moment, you can see that I've predicted. I think it's going to be a two-one win, just because I had the chance to look at Manchester City's game against West Ham um, this week and gone by, and it was a very strong performance. They are obviously transitioning into a more possession-based style of football. Um, we always have issues with them, especially Bunny Shaw. And I, anyone who's watched her play during the World Cup would just know that she's she's insane she's just her physicality and strength on the ball when dribbling i'm pretty sure that she's given Millie bright a couple of nightmares over the last couple of years um but i think it's going to be a tricky one so i've put down two one because i I do think we're going to edge it it's like we've talked about all podcasts today our depth of attacking talent is almost embarrassing so if we do concede i think we're going to score more goals um and now it's your turn, Mia, to come up with a good prediction. Although you come up with really good. In fact, I'm going to pay close attention because you, you come up with some really good ones. Yeah, I, because I, I don't feel that, like there's time for me to explain anything. But I, I don't really want to have the same prediction as you because that would be boring. <laughs> um, one of us needs to be right or both wrong. But um, I will say... I will say that 2-0. Ooh, I will say okay. clean sheet. Yeah, I will say clean sheet. Interesting. You're, you're not giving us any explanations. That's it. No, I, I think that also because I, I, I thought that obviously it was some sort of goalkeeping mistake against Tottenham. I also think that the back line was a bit off. Uh, in that mm-hmm. moment and I think that 
they they all learned from that and they will get back into it and show us that there's going to be clean sheets this season against the best. Okay, that's pretty bold. I mean, you also did say that Niskan was going to turn into the, the WSL's Lena Oberdorf, so we're going to we're gonna hold Mia to that. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we head off today? No, I think uh, I think we're good now. Yeah, we've we've had a long chat. I really quite enjoyed having that little segment where we talked about other things. I think we might have to to bring that out for next week. Um, but if you have stayed for this long and we're coming up to an hour, thank you very much for tuning in to our very first game review of the season. We've obviously got a lot of exciting and new things planned for this season, so please do bear with us while we tweak and tinker. And hopefully we'll be back next week to chat about another big win, or as, as Mia says it, 2-0, clean sheet. Um and uh, Niskin playing in a in a role where we will forget that we signed Kat Macario and not Lena Overdorf. <laughs>